Okay, you guys, here we go. She Runs Ultras, episode number 171. In this episode, I had the privilege to chat with Dr. Allison Roy. She lives here in New Hampshire, actually not that far away from me. She's a licensed clinical psychologist with a background in neuroscience. She's a mom of three, a runner. She loves to be outdoors. So she took up running in college as a way to, you know, sort of cope and deal with the whole process of going to college and acclimating to the world of academics, and it just kept going from there. These days you can find her out on the trails doing a format that I have yet to do, which is Backyard Ultras, and she really loves them. So we talk about a little bit of everything here from college to mental skills to her work as a psychologist, how those mental skills play into the sport of ultra running, how ultras will change your life. I mean, we quite literally touch on everything, and I'm sure that you're going to really dig this conversation. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Allison Roy. Yeah, so my name's uh, Dr. Allison Roy. I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm originally from New Hampshire, born and raised. I now live here again. I'm, in, I'm based out of Exeter, New Hampshire. Uh, but I did take my small family around the world for a couple of years. We lived in Prague for two years and Singapore for two years. And so it was really cool to get kind of a different perspective on life and culture and living and all the things. And so, um, but I, you know, we're back here in New Hampshire because we love it. So, um, so yeah. did you grow up in Exeter originally? Like, is that where you're from originally? No, I'm from Manchester, New Hampshire originally. So not too far away. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. So what took yeah. you overseas? Like, why did you guys travel just for fun or did you have work there? What'd you do? Yeah, it was work. My husband's job took us originally. And then I ended up working as well in both countries, which was really cool. Um, and we had a uh, one of our kids in Prague and one of our kids in Singapore. And so it's been, nice. it's been a real adventure. Yeah. And did a ton of traveling. It's just so easy to travel when you're over there. And so, um, yeah, it was definitely a, a blast for four years. So, and yeah. so you, have you been a runner this whole time or when, when did you start to pick up running? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I picked it up as a coping skill in college. <laughs> I had some really maladaptive coping skills I was using. Um, and I figured I was like, I can't keep on this train. So I got to do something different. And um, one of my friends was a runner. And then grad school, it kind of amped up a bit. And then I let it go for a little while. I always ran when I had my kids even pregnant. Um, I kept running, uh, but not as intensely until um, actually about 2020, the pandemic really kind of <laughs> amped up. Um, both my husband and I are ultra runners and that's basically when we got into the sport. So, so how did um, you progress? Yeah. Like in college, you just sort of like ran as stress just ran to run. Yep. yep. And then at yep. what point did you decide you were going to do any races or like not until you yeah. did your ultra? Like how did that progression go? Yeah. So college, exactly. Ran to ran. I don't know. I, I don't know what that's like anymore, but I was running just to run and be outside. And um, in grad school, my best friend in grad school was a marathon runner. And she said, you should try a half. And so that was uh, the first time I tried. It was 2005, a half marathon. Um, and then I ran a marathon a couple of years later. And then I didn't really race for a couple of years. Um, I would do like a 5K or a 10K. And 
um, or, you know, do Ragnars. I did some Ragnars, you know, cause those are just so crazy and so fun. Um, and then I got back into it really seriously after I had my three babies in 2019, I ran the New York city marathon. Nice. Um, and yeah, in the fall of 2019 and then, um, and 2020 is really when I started really amping, <laughs> amping things up. Needed yeah. the good coping skills during the pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> during the pandemic, I needed alone time. I needed to yes. get out of my house. Yes. And yeah, a couple of big life events happened in early 2020 that mm-hmm. kind of, we needed to to find some grounding um, as a family. And so I think that's uh, contributed as well, for sure. Nice. So, and so in college, yeah. did you know that you wanted to go into psychology or be a therapist? Like what, like, or did the running play a part in you making that decision? Like, was it already decided ahead of yeah. time? Yeah, I was, um, I was, I, str- I was on the struggle bus my freshman year in college. Um, you know, just, it was a big life adjustment. I think a lot of people probably can relate to that. I think it's a lot to have so much freedom and so much responsibility all at once. And I went into, I went to UNH. Um, and so I went into school thinking I was going to be a lawyer. And so I went that path. And after one semester was like, uh, this is not, I just couldn't, <laughs> this is not for me. I couldn't yeah. find myself. And so, um, I took a semester of just taking all the gen eds I needed to do and, mm-hmm. um, just found psychology. I'd always thought it was really interesting. I'd taken some classes while I was in high school and, um, and really latched onto it. And it, it's, it's become absolutely who I am. It fits who I am. It, it fits all aspects of my life. I love the, the ability to inter weave what Mm -hmm. I do in my downtime and what I do professionally. And so, um, yeah, it's really fit, which is nice. That's cool. I was, I feel lucky. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that is like a real benefit though, when you can sort of, you know, there's lots of people who use running as a way to, you know, cope with what they're doing for work or family or whatever. But I do think it's really great when you can sort of weave the running into the thing that you do and make it part of your everyday life. So I talk a lot about how your training will go a lot more smoothly if you're able to integrate your running into your life as opposed to considering them to be two separate things, because then I feel like your attention is really divided. You know, you're always like you're here, maybe you're here physically with your kids or with your spouse or like at work, but you're sometimes you're mentally checked out and you're someplace else. So if you're able to incorporate the two things, then I think it goes a lot more smoothly. I'm just going to close my window because yeah. uh, that it's one o'clock or two o'clock and our generator does a test run every Wednesday at 2 oh, p.m. <laughs> and it's right time. beside yeah. my window. <laughs> That's so funny. I guess you yeah. wanted to do that, right? To make sure. Yeah. yeah. I do. Perfect. I just uh, yeah. poorly timed and I forgot to close my window. <laughs> forgot yeah. to close my window. Um, so, okay. So you get through, you get through undergrad, you start to go into grad school. Does your running like ratchet up in relation to, you know, the stress and the, um, the workload in grad school or does it sort of taper down? I think it did. I, it did a little of both. There were times when it would kind of ratchet up when I needed to, and then times when it would naturally have to kind of go on the back burner just because of the amount of time that grad school consumed my life. And, um, but I found it to be a way that I could bond with other people in the new area I was living in. And like I said, you know, my, my colleagues that were in class with me and, um, 
And so it was a, it, you know, it's a kind of a free exercise, right? Like it's yep. not, but <laughs> those, those darn shoes. Um, but, you know, I think, I think it was a way that I could do something other than my studies all the time. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, it was an, like you said, it was like a way to give myself that brain break or even a way to think about what I had just ingested as far as like material. Mm-hmm. Um, I could go out on a run and really consolidate it. Cause we know that running is so good for that move body movement in any way actually is so good for that. It's consolidating what we know or what we are learning or what we're thinking about. Um, it gives our brain that time to just think without interruption. So, yeah. I find that yeah. to be really helpful too. It's one of my things too, is when I'm like working on a project or have like a, an issue with something uh, and I find myself at a place where I'm super frustrated or my brain just can't, process any more information or I hit a, I've hit like a, an obstacle and I just can't produce any more work. I'm like, okay, it took me a while to get to this point, but I'm like, this is the time that I need to stop. And I actually need to abandon this for a minute and like go out, either go for a walk or go for a run or do my mobile, like just do something else. Um, so I think it's one of those things that people think that they have to like do their workouts at a specific time, like, you know, morning or night or at lunchtime. But sometimes it could be as simple as doing a little bit of something um, to help break up the day that will reset your brain. I don't know if this is something that you that you um, talk about with any of your clients, but it's definitely something that I talk about with mine, um, trying to incorporate those little breaks that will do double duty, right? It sort of hits the reset button for your brain, but it also gives your body an opportunity to move. And I don't know about you, but when I come back to whatever the thing is that I abandoned, I'm like way more efficient, have more ideas. I've been able to like think the thing through my, my just, my general cognitive abilities are like a thousand times better than when I left off. Right. There's good reason. I mean, there, if I can like be like nerdy science brain person, absolutely. For a minute, like, there's, re- <laughs> there's really good reason for that. Um, so movement, like running, like rhythmic movement, running, walking, hiking, jumping, yoga, like actually resonates with the neurons in the bottom part of our brain, and we need that bottom part of our brain to be regulated and online and calm, so that we can actually use that thinking part of our brain, and so. That's exactly why that works is because when we look at brain scans of someone who's walking on a treadmill, we see that bottom part of their brain lighting up and it's it's resonating there. It's helping to calm that central nervous system. And so especially if you're feeling like overwhelmed or overworked or like you can't, you don't have clarity. So sometimes people say, I just don't have clear thoughts or um, I feel really stuck. So any of that, it, it helps with that reorganization of your brain um, and your brain needs that. Uh, so so that's one reason. The other reason is um, dissociation, which people often have like a negative connotation with because it can be a symptom of a psychiatric disorder, but also there's healthy dissociation and our brain needs that too. It's like the ultimate checking out. So like getting lost in a really good book or even like watching some mindless television, like we love that stuff because it gives our brain that absolute break. Um, and running can do that too. I don't know about you, but there's times I'm out on a run and I'm like, I, I don't recognize that my body's move it's almost like i'm standing still but i'm because i'm thinking i'm so lost in my own thoughts yep and we need that we need that ability to check out completely that's one of my favorite parts about um ultra running because there comes a point in every at least for me every long run every race where i sort of have 
this moment where I'm like, I don't remember the last five minutes, five miles, five hours. Like I just don't (laughs) don't even remember, but I've, I know I've been moving. Time has passed. Um, but oftentimes I will have gone out on a run and a, a significant chunk of time has passed. And I don't even really remember the minute to minute agenda of what happened, but like, I was, I guess, in this sort of dissociative state or dissociated state where I'm just like yes. checked out, but doing my thing. And it's just, for me, it's really sort of therapeutic in that way because yes, I feel like I'm like, I'm trying to think of the right word I want. It's sort of like I'm letting go of stuff. I'm like shedding these things. I'm like dumping or sloughing off like all of this dead weight. And then when I sort of like come back and realize, okay, I'm, I'm like here, this is where I am now. I'm like, okay, that's good. It's sort of like I've taken a big deep breath and let it all go. But that's one of my favorite parts about long runs and ultras specifically, because it sort of gives you this really great time and space to be away from the things that you might be too intimately tied to like have too much like mental physical or emotional like emotionally invested in those things and sometimes if you can just get a break from them at least for me I feel like that's huge you know so yeah absolutely no and I think that's I honestly think that's been part of the training I you know I I get a lot of questions I run with a group in Exeter Exeter Run Club and they're amazing I mean they're like family to me and um there aren't many of us that are ultra runners and so I get a lot of questions that um you know from how do you fuel to what what about going to the bathroom which I know you did a really popular episode on and (laughs) um all the way to um you know how do you go and run for 27 hours and I don't I you know my answer is I'm not sure but it you're in this like time space continuum that doesn't really make sense. And I think that's been a beautiful part of training is getting to that point where I hit that at five miles. Well, now I'm not hitting it till 15 miles and now I'm not hitting it till 20 miles, but I do think it's, there's this physical training, but there's also, and I mean, we know this, this isn't groundbreaking, but mental training goes along with that so much for, for ultras and, and where you get your, your mind to kind of go into that dissociative place so that you can, um, disconnect from the outside world in a way to allow yourself to run for 50, 75, hundred miles. So. so let's back up a little bit. You, you ran yeah. the New York city marathon in 2019, but yes. did you do anything between, you know, sort of like grad school and then that, and then how did you get introduced to ultras? <laughs> um, this is a really, this is a really um, interesting story. Sometimes I have to really reflect back and be like, how did this happen? I feel like I just woke up one day and was like, oh, now I'm a, one of those crazy runners. But um, <laughs> so not really. The answer is not really. In between um, grad school and 2019, I had three kids in three years and we traveled the world and we did some racing abroad, but not a ton. Um, we tried to do like a half marathon in each of the countries we lived in just, you know, just to have fun. And, um, and so when I came back in 20, um, we came back in 2015 and then I had another baby here. And so in 2018, I started training again, um, with Exeter Run Club and, and did the, the marathon. Um, and then in 2020, um, COVID happened obviously. <laughs> um, and we ended up, um, buying a little place up North cause we love the white mountains. Um, we're really, 
big into hiking, big into mountain running. Mm. Um, and we started um, noticing, we got Strava, right? This is when we like, we Strava came into our lives and um, we started noticing there were segments on mountains <laughs> and we weren't half, and I'm saying we, my husband and I, we weren't half yeah. bad at it. We're like, oh, we're not putting that much effort out there. And we're doing pretty good at these mountain segments. And then we're like, well, do people run mountains? Is this like a thing we do? Like, do we race mountains? Like, is that a thing? And so, um, you know, that's how we kind of slowly got into it with doing the Loon Mountain Race. And then it was Chikorua. And, you know, so we kind of started dabbling in this like trail running, mountain running. Um, and then we just wanted to push it a little bit further. Um, and so the first marath- ha- uh, first ultra marathon I signed up for was uh, Manchester to Monadnock. So Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So and did was, you do that in 2021? Um, did it happen in 20? 20- I did it in 2022. 22, so in 2021, okay. I ended up uh, with a pretty significant uh, stress fracture in my tibia, my mm. left tibia, which sidelined me for almost a full year. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that was, I was just getting into this, like, oh, I could do this. And then that happened. And so it really um, was a moment of of pause and reflection and what overtraining looks like and how do you train safely and how do you nutrition and all that kind of stuff. So that was good for me actually to, to learn that lesson, that hard lesson mm-hmm. <laughs> early on in my kind of progression into to ultra running. So can you sort of yeah, talk so us like, through like how, cause this is something that I think happens. I, I don't want to say frequently, but I know it does happen frequently to a lot of people where, you know, they're on the train, it's going, they're doing really well with their training, and then they hit this wall, they have a stress fracture, they get full-blown injured, they break something, or um, they just literally hit the wall and, like, can't go anymore. Can you talk us through some of, like, the mental aspects of how you sort of made your way through that, like navigated that? Because for a lot of people, that's like the point at which they pull the plug. They think I'm not cut out for this. See, this means I'm not supposed to do this. Like what are some of the things that you maybe did or tips or tricks that you could sort of impart on people to help them? Because I think this is like a challenge for people to navigate. Oh, absolutely. And it was a challenge. I mean, I definitely had a lot of pity parties. It was, I was pretty sad. Never mind that I get a lot of my dopamine and my endorphins from physical activity. And it wasn't just a sideline from running, it was a sideline from everything. So, um, and I have three young active kids. So, I mean, it was really hard to, um, in that mental space, to be able to set goals for the future, to be able to see a way out, um, to be able to get support. I mean, I think I had doctors that weren't supportive, that were, you know, kind of, you know, skeptical or saying it's going to keep happening. So that was really hard. That mindset that was being given to me was hard not to take on. Um, and so I had to really look to some of the female ultra runners around me that had experienced it as well. And, their tips for coming back and their their strength and their resilience and their ability to say this is hard and you can come back from this and it doesn't mean that it's going to be a repeat there are there those of us who come back and never have it happen again um and so i think that was and you have to be smart about it so you have to do the strength training you have to you know i i started my year 2021 january with saying i'm going to do a thousand vert a day and it wasn't just 
you know, a thousand treadmill vert, it was a thousand mountain vert. And it was, that means I was going up. I was also going down and that likely contributed to, you know, what the injury that I had without having the strength, you know, behind it. And so, um, so just kind of refocusing, rethinking about, um, goals, really listening to my body versus looking at the numbers on Strava. And I think a lot of us struggle with that um, and struggle with the, the invisible audience on Strava and just knowing that, um, you know, anyone who's, who's judging you can have their own opinion and that you need to listen to your body and not worry about that, that invisible audience on Strava. So that was a lot of what I learned. I think, um, to, I, I had to do me, you do you, <laughs> you do you on Strava. Um, you do you with your training and listen to your body and, and not make these cumulative goals for the end of the year um, that you'll be shattered if you don't make. It's more about just staying healthy. And I think that was what was really important. I knew what it was like to not be healthy, not to be sidelined, to be on that injured reserve list. And I didn't want to get back there. So my will and my drive to be healthy was was stronger than cumulative miles, cumulative or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I think that was the biggest lesson learned. I think so. what you're saying is, um, I've, I've talked to a number of people who have sort of had the same thing happen, not the same injury, but you know, the same sort of sequence of events and largely the, the overall theme is, yeah, I was participating in this thing. I was going hard in the paint, so to speak, right? Like I was doing all the things I was trending really well. And then something happened. Um, a lot of times people, um, are participating. I love your term, the invisible audience, because I think it's so interesting how that invisible audience. So for like a little bit of a background, my undergrad degree is actually in sociology. So my like bent is to think about things from that sort of perspective. So for me, the concept of the uh, invisible audience is really interesting because I feel like that has a lot of influence and Strava in particular, I think has been great for some people, but also the downfall for a lot of people. I myself don't participate in Strava specifically for this reason of the invisible audience. Like we're getting so many inputs from so many different places you know, I'm on social media a lot for coaching and for, you know, sharing the podcast and all that stuff. And I try largely not to participate in the shenanigans that go on on there, but, and, but to have, you know, Strava and then to have, you know, whatever other platforms that you're participating in, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you know, if you're yes. on some other, there's, I'm sure there's other ones out there that I don't even know about, which is totally fine with me. Yeah. If you're getting <laughs> yeah. those influences and then you're having to process that. Um, I think right. this is part of the, the mental skills challenge that a lot of athletes are facing where it's tough enough for you to just deal with the thing that's happening to you and try to navigate that. But now you've got this yeah. invisible, invisible audience. You've got feedback from people who largely don't really have a, an insight into what you're doing. You're just seeing all this stuff happening. You might be having a lot of FOMO, right? Like people are yes. nagging your segments. You're no longer the local legend. Like I don't really know what these terms mean, but I hear that those yeah. things exist. Um, yeah. I, I possess none of those. Um, (laughs) and I'm totally fine with that, but like, I'm not trying to downplay the fact that that's important to some people, but I feel like that is one of those places where you can sort of get hung up because if you're Mm. trying to navigate your own head and then you're trying to also, um, parse out the information and the feedback that other people are giving you, this is where this sort of like spiral happens, this sort of like land, like landmines, you know, where you just don't know what to do or where to go. And it can be really, really challenging to find your way back to some sort of a 
decent path, right, to where you want to go. Yes. And, you know, brain development wise, invisible audience has always existed, right? That's mm-hmm. existed since the dawn of time. Yeah. Um, but we've really kind of skewed it now with this, with social media. It's one of the things that our brain actually doesn't know how to have that many people watching us all the time. We have this network of millions of people now. Um, and we've never had that before. It used to be who was in your neighborhood, who was at work. You know, we had these really limited tribe members and that's what our brain is actually neurologically used to. And so it actually does kind of fry our brains a little bit to have yeah. that much neural feedback from others. So really being able to turn that off and say, why am I out here? What do I get from running? And and getting back to that basic and having time to really reflect on what I truly missed when I was injured was really, really helpful. And it's still, I mean, even two years later, it still informs um, probably even more so my running today and how I focus on just how my body feels and, and letting that outside noise be outside noise yeah. <laughs> for the most part. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. So you did, um, uh, Manchester to Mananoc. How did that go? It went really well. So I ended up as second place female, um, nice. and in the top 10 overall. And so, and it felt really good. And I thought I found my happy place and I found my home and, I don't want to run fast, you know, for time anymore. I want to run these long distances and see what it was really about. What can I, what can my body do? And that's what I was really interested in. And, 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 uh, how do I get there and how do I keep challenging myself, um, to do these things? So, yeah, that was the first time I felt really like, oh, okay. I like this. (laughs) This is cool. So (laughs) just for context for people who aren't familiar. So Manchester to Mananoc is, is a, is a 50 miler. So right out of the gate, you skipped right over 50 K and you went straight to 50 miles. I did. I just went right to a 50. I ran like a 50 K for fun with my husband as a, like a training run. Yeah. So we called it the DC parkour, uh, 50k because we just ran around Washington DC like all the monuments. We did stairs. We did. We just had a blast. It was so much fun. We had a blast. Um, and so yeah, but I did. I skipped over the 50k. <laughs> yeah. And then so. for context, also because people might not know Manchester to Manhattan, you basically start in the city and then you run some of the back roads, rail trails, and then you actually finish on sort of the mountain that's in my backyard, which is Manhattan, and you go up one yes. of my favorite trails, but also like not this is not like a gradual trail. Like this thing goes up. (laughs) It's up. It's up for five miles. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, you know, hand over foot. And then you're like kind of lowering yourself down on these big boulders. Yeah. Yeah, It's a little bit crazy at the end there. So yeah. Mile 45, you're like, and now you get to go up this mountain. And then you have to get back down and there's no auto road for context. There is no auto road that you can drive back down. It's not like Mount Washington road race, you know, like you have to then hike yourself uh, a couple miles back down. (laughs) Yeah. And that's all part of the race. So the finish line's at the bottom actually. So, yep. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. yeah. So from there, you didn't, you didn't get enough at Manchester to Mananoc. So you decided you were going to go and do another one. Yes. And so the next one, and this is even crazier. Um, so the next one I decided to do was a backyard ultra. So um, I went from the 50 miler to the infinite amount of mileage, however far you think you can go. So um, that format really intrigued me because that one really isn't about pace. It's about mm-hmm. just making it back in that hour time frame and going back out again. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was so intriguing to me that I had to try it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> that is not a format. I think I told you in my email that interests me in the slightest. Like it's just not, I think largely because my 
my ability to hold a specific pace for a specific amount of time is total shit. <laughs> so yeah, like, yeah. And, and I could certainly train it, but that's not something I think just, you know, there's certain formats that resonate with people. Certain people like races that are point to point or out and back or yeah. loops in loops. the same, you know, yeah. loops in that way. I was just having a conversation the other day with some clients about the benefits, um, the, the benefits and the downfalls of different types of races. Some people like pre-programmed distance. So like, a 50K, a 50 mile, where you know there's a definitive start and there's a definitive end. Some people like timed races, sort of like this, but with uh, like a, a more hour. like yeah. a 12 or a, yeah. a 6, a 12, a 24. Yeah. Um, and then there's yes. people who like super long races, like the 200 milers. And then there's the, I think the backyarders are like the craziest of them all because this is just <laughs> an open ended race and it could be very quick if you get timed out. Or it yes. could be, I mean, like days. I mean, you could just keep going for days and days and days. You have to like block your calendar off for, you know. Yes, for days, <laughs> literally days. Yeah. 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 So we yeah. have one yes. here in, in New Hampshire. So is that's the one you did? You did um, Bubba's, yes. Bubba's Backyard? Bubba's, yep. Yep, I did. Yeah. So that's the one I did. Um, and I think the format appealed to me partially too, because I'm super strong-willed and very mm. stubborn. And so <laughs> yes. um, even my teammates were like, oh man, our money's on Allison. She will just stay out there until her legs fall off, literally. Yep. So <laughs> so it was really appealing to me in that way. Um, and, and also my husband was out there with me. And so, and if there's one person I don't let beat me, it's him. So yeah, that was, <laughs> we are uber competitive. So so, um, yeah, yeah. And it, it's a fun atmosphere. If mm -hmm. you ever get the chance to even just hang out at a backyard ultra, it is so much fun. So, yeah. Well, um, it, I, yeah. in my mind, I feel like it's a lot like a, a Ragnar where, you know, you, you have a team, you have sort of a pit crew and, you know, you're just yes. coming through every hour, every, you know, however long, how long were the laps on this one? I can't remember four miles. So the, the laps are a little bit shorter on this one okay. because it is um, a little bit over 200 feet of elevation gain for mm -hmm. every lap. So, um, so yeah, this one's a little bit shorter and it's, it's pretty technical. Uh, so, um, and they, they do things like leave a tree down in the trail on purpose so that we had to climb over it. So yeah, I mean, there's like crazy stuff happening out there too. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think, um, so you have to right get back within the hour. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So and so how did you, how did you train for that? What was your, did you have a objective? Yeah. What was your. Right. Cause if you Google training plans for backyards, there's just nothing. Out there. Yeah. <laughs> so I trained for a hundred. Um, I trained, I used a hundred mile training plan cause nice. I wanted to go be able to go a hundred miles at least. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then we also did, we've done it a couple of times now. Our run club, uh, does host our own backyard. Um, oh, cool. and so we, as a training for Bubba's. And so yeah. this year we have a team of about six of us running Bubba's. And so we just did one actually last weekend. Um, and we'll do one again in September just so people can get used to the format. So we mm -hmm. set up in a park in Exeter and we have a 3.5 mile loop we do, and we just have fun and hang out all day. So love it. Um, yeah. So if you do ever want to try, <laughs> come hang out at ours. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so I did, I used a hundred mile training plan. Yeah. Yeah. I, th so. I think like, you know, that that's probably, um, 
it's tricky to try and figure out, you know, especially for like 200 miler training. There's not, if you Google 200 mile training, there's not a lot of training plans out there. Not a lot of training plans for, you know, super technical stuff. And then the backyard category is also is a little challenging. It's like, how do you replicate this? Right. So you sort of have to think outside the box and you also have to think about what's your ultimate goal. I mean, obviously you want to try and go as long as you can. I mean, that's the, that's the objective, but you have to think, okay, so if I, if I translate that over to a certain number of miles, that will help me sort of calibrate to what I need to do for right. training. So I love that you like you'd made that shift and you were like, okay, what's my mileage target? And then that's what I'll sort right. of prepare myself for. Did you practice um, any nighttime running while you were training? A little bit. We'd get up earlier or end really mm-hmm. late. So we did this like really long days in the White Mountains in mm-hmm. particular. So um, I love, I'll do a good one or two uh, Prezi Traverses, Presidential Traverse or a Pemi Loop, you know, f- over the summer. So mm-hmm. I do those anyways. And so stuff like that, where you're just out for a really long time, you're having to get used to the headlamp. Um, we've actually now shifted to using um, Kugalas, which mm-hmm. we love, the belt lamps. Yeah. Um, especially for stuff that you're going to be going all night and you don't have to have something on your head, mm-hmm. which is helpful. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I think it's a lot of gear testing. It's a lot of nutrition yeah. testing yeah. Um, for sure. It's not just as you know, as this audience knows, it's not just about the miles. It's about testing everything that you're going to be dealing with while you're out there. Can I change my shorts in the eight minutes I have left in between laps? You know, can I go to the bathroom? Can I do all the things? So, um, so yeah, it's figuring all that out too. Yeah. I think that's the biggest difference with this format is that Mm -hmm. you can't stop when you want to. Mm -hmm. So, um, figuring out how to leave just enough time, but not too much time to be able to transition, but do all the things in that eight minutes that you have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So were you pretty consistent? Was that the amount of time that you tried to allot yourself every lap? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So we tried the six to eight minutes was about what I tried to do. So yeah. Did you get yep. any power naps in? No, no, no dirt naps. <laughs> Unfortunately, maybe while I was running, but I don't know. No dirt lap naps. So yeah. So yeah. I did, did pretty you... well without sleep. <laughs> that's good. Well, that's like, that's, yeah, that's one of the that's things. An advantage. That, yeah. That's the thing that like trips a lot of people up is the, the sleep deprivation. If you're not like if you're if you haven't practiced it, if you haven't experienced it, the sleep deprivation can really yeah. slow you down. It can really mess you up. It can really throw you for a loop. So you probably have a distinct yes. advantage being okay running on very little sleep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm like an eight hour a night person. I love it. But having three babies in three years, it was like we didn't sleep straight for three years. I think so. I think my body also goes. Oh, I know what this. I know what to do with this. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's so funny because I think that's true. I don't have kids, but I I feel like parents have a distinct advantage with this, especially if you have multiple yes. kids too, because you've experienced it not just once when your kid was tiny and growing up, like you've gone through it, like you said, over and over and over. And if you had three in three years, right, like, or, you know, that relative time span, you just, you sort of get into the group. You're like, yeah, I know what this is like. So. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 I'm always like, oh, I'm thankful for that then actually. Yeah. Yeah, I was like training before you even knew you needed it. Before I knew. Yeah. Before I knew it was going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) So you go into the backyard, you, you start out, did how, like, at what point did you know, that you were sort of like, at what point did you get into the groove, like right away, or did it take you some time? 
No, right away. I was in love with it right away. I thought I would, I would, I'm usually not a loop or out and back runner. I like a point to point. Um, and so I was nervous about that, but I, it was, again, I think at partial dissociative state, I, if you asked me what that trail looked like, other than that stinking log I had to climb over, I wouldn't be able to tell you it was, and we reverse directions, you know, like you flip a log yeah. and you decide which direction you're going in. Um, and so it was just kind of like being in the woods all day long, which is my favorite thing to do anyways. And so that part was really good. I felt like I was in a groove. Um, everything was going well, nutrition, hydration, until <laughs> um, my crew brought pizza into camp. And did I train with pizza? No, I did not. Um, and so, but pizza looked really good to me in that moment. And I had to learn that hard lesson of just don't ever try to eat something you didn't at least try once in training. And so I ate pizza and I, that started the slow decline for me. Yeah. Yeah. My stomach turned on me. Mm. <laughs> what, what, what point was that? Like how many miles in did you go? Uh, it was, we started at 10, um, AM and it was probably about 7 PM when the, when I had the pizza. So I was a good chunk of mileage in, um, and then I did go a couple more, la a few more laps. So, before I was really in, in, in the pain cave, um, as far as not tolerating food for a while. And I thought, mm -hmm. you know, I had to, I had to really calm my, cause your brain does start to panic a little bit when you mm -hmm. are like, I'm not eating, I'm not, but I knew I could go for a while without food. Um, I don't need a ton of calories while I'm out there. I've learned that about myself and I can do liquid nutrition, you know, well, but it was when I started not tolerating liquids either that I knew I was in trouble. So, mm -hmm. um, I only made it two more laps. I actually timed out. So that was my, mm -hmm. that was my secondary goal was to not die in the chair. I said to my crew, you will absolutely not let me die in the chair. <laughs> you will push me back out there. No, I want to die yeah. on the course. Yeah. And so that goal I did achieve, I died on the course. I came in about 30 seconds too late. I was mm -hmm. coming, you know, it was heartbreaking to see that the headlamps coming towards me and yeah. knowing I had timed out. Yeah. So Yeah. That's a bummer. Yeah. That's a bummer. Yeah. So how far so. did you make it overall? Did you hit your hundred miles? No, 53, 53.5 miles nice. was what I hit. Yeah. That's definitely more yeah, than so. I would make in a backyard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You'd be surprised. It's addicting. And you're mm. like, it's pure. It's like the ultimate peer pressure. You're like, oh, okay, I'll go out again. Okay, yeah. I'll go out again. So yeah. 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 So that was, I had to kind of shake that one off because I was really, I was really disappointed. Um, and my revenge was to turn around two weeks later and run a hundred. So <laughs> Just for just, was, just on your own, or did you do did you do a different race? No, I did a race. I had signed up for the Ghost Train, um, oh, okay, just to like have some fun and you know, do as many because that one, as you you know, yeah. for people that don't know, it's a fifteen mile out and back, so you do that as many times as you want, essentially. And so, um, yeah, I signed up for it just for fun, and so yeah, it was it was a I'm mad. I want to actually do my hundred mile. I trained for it, so I'm going to go and do this one. I love it. It's funny because when you were talking about, you know, dissociative uh, mindset state, that, and you were talking about, could I tell you what that course looked like? No, except for that, like one log. I have explained to people so many times that I could not tell you what the ghost train course looks like, save for a couple landmarks, like yes. the middle aid station at the power yes. lines, um, the point at which you cross the road, um, the point at which you go oh, through yes. the tunnels. Like, but I also, aside from knowing a few of those, like couldn't tell you what 
order they are in also. And people are just, no. they don't understand this. And I'm like, they're fascinated by this. So like, how do you, yeah. how do you do? Well, first of all, it, it's very difficult to get lost on that course unless you are so right. sleep deprived and by yourself and you're basically, um, you know, sleepwalking right. or sleep running. So it's not really a function of not paying attention and getting lost. It's a function of this dissociative state that I just, yeah. I actually actively try not to remember because that way I'm just like, okay, oh, and then, oh, now I'm oh, here. You. Oh, yeah. now I'm here. Yeah. Now I'm here. Oh, isn't this interesting? Instead of being like, oh, now it's so far until X, right. Y, or Z, right? Like, so right. it's, people just are fascinated by this fact. And I'm glad that I can now point to this and be like, okay, this is an actual thing now. <laughs> it's not it's just a totally me. actual thing. <laughs> right, right. No, not remembering. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The skeletons with the fireball. Yes. Model, that just kept going lower and lower and lower. <laughs> Well, that's actually, that landmark is how I know I'm getting close to camp on the return trip. So, but for me, I see that and I always feel like, okay, camp should just be right around the corner, but it's not. It's always really not. Yeah. It's really not. It's like another two miles out. And then I I try not to pay and see, that's the thing. Like once I associate something with a mileage in my head, then it turns into this like, okay, now I'm, now I'm thinking about that versus thinking about, okay, my form and my nutrition and my mindset. Like, if I let myself go to the, okay, it's only so far until this thing and then this thing and then this thing, then that's what I think about as opposed to the other things that I have deemed more important for me so that I can stay on track for my race and achieve my objectives and not, you know, sort of veer off into this hole of, oh, it's it's like, it's another half a mile and then I got to do this. And then I got, you know, so it's like, you're in trouble if you start doing that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a real, like, it's a real, um, what's the word I want? It's like a real mind game for me. Like a lot of this adventure for me has just been managing my mind. Cause I am yeah. someone who grew up having a really shitty mindset around a lot of things yeah. and thinking like, yes. Oh, you're, not, I'm not capable. Like, you know, I just can't do this. I always, I talk about how, like, if I didn't know that I was good at something or I was going to succeed at something before I even started it, like I wouldn't do it yeah. because I couldn't handle the fear of failure, the failure itself, the, the invisible audience like what they were going to think or say either to me or behind my back. And so all of that factored into a lot of the stuff in my like pre ultra life. And so for me, the ultras have really been an exercise in developing more of like a resilient mindset and not caring what other people think to a certain extent and really trying to like, I can't remember who, um, who use this analogy, but like shine the flashlight into, you know, the deep corner, deep, dark corners of your brain and like explore what's going on in there and be like, okay, well, this is a real thing. You know, this is what I'm afraid of or excited by or nervous about. And, you know, try and dig into it to a point where that thing that I have previously thought of as a, um, a negative or like a weakness of mine, how can I flip it around and turn it into a strength or at least not have it pull me down. So for me, the whole mindset thing, and I think, you know, having my, my, my degree in sociology, um, uh, sort of leads me down that hole because that's sort of where my brain wants to go to begin with. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the, you know, when you talked in a previous episode about 
running an ultra will change your life. And it, and it seems so cliche. And so, yeah. like, and it's so true. I mean, we talk about our pre ultra post ultra selves and there's a reason we do that is because we, you know, it, it really does shift. It has to, I don't, I don't know how it wouldn't change who you are as a person mm-hmm. to be out there with yourself for a hundred miles, mm-hmm. <laughs> how even 50 miles, even 31 miles, yeah. whatever it is to be out there with yourself for so many hours and, and to, to really dig into who you are and what your brain does and, and all that kind of good stuff is it has to change you. I think um, it has to shift who you are in your mindset. So, I think yeah, people, it's been a cool I, journey. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but I think people, that's one of the reasons why people don't do ultras is because they are avoiding that aspect of it. Like they don't yeah. want to dig into that. You know, they're, most of the people that I talk to who really enjoy ultra running are people who are sort of curious about that aspect of it and are like, well, I wonder what my limit is, or I wonder how far I can go or how hard I can push myself or, you know, oh yeah, I really enjoy getting to the point where I don't even know my own name. And then I try and like, see how much further or faster, you know, or how much more vert I can, I can climb. So it's, I think it's an interesting little, I'm going to use the word quirk and I don't mean it in any sort of negative context, but like, I think it's an interesting sort of quirk that all of us who do ultras have. It's just like this curiosity, this inclination to be like, Hmm, that's interesting. How can I double down on that? (laughs) Right. Right. And I think, well, yeah, the psychology of that's actually quite interesting because mm. we as humans, our brains are programmed to not like uncertainty or the unknown. That's actually one of the biggest threats to a human is mm-hmm. uncertainty, unknown. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of what an ultra is for for people. It's an unknown. It's an uncertainty. They don't understand it. Um, and so are you that kind of person that's going to say, I don't understand it. I want to know more. And I think that's, that's what I do for a living. So it's interesting. I'm just kind of like when hearing you speak, I'm coming coming around to this right now. I want to know more. When mm-hmm. someone comes in to talk to me, that's my whole job is to yeah. understand, is to know more, is to is to get to the bottom of the unknown. Um, and so I wonder if that naturally kind of helped play a role in developing this interest and love for ultra running. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting to think about. <laughs> I think so too. And yeah. I think like there's, it's funny that you talked about that episode that I did about, you know, an ultra running an ultra will change your life. Cause I thought long and long and hard about that one. Cause I was like, this is so cliche. Like people are going to hear this and think like, this is so silly. Like she's just trying to get more people to run ultras, which is true. Right. But like, true. it's yeah. not because <laughs> it's not for self-serving purposes. It's because I had this amazing experience that if I were an, an N of one, like if it was just me and I was making that episode, then I would, I think I would, I think at the time when I was making it, I was like, I mean, I've had this experience and I know other people have had a similar sort of life-changing experience. So I'm going to go out on a limb, so to speak, and make this episode and say it. But I still felt like it was a little cliche, but there are so many people that have listened to that episode that have written to me and been like, totally agree. Like, thanks for saying it. Like (laughs) you've given me permission to like, feel this thing that I felt, but like not feel as though I was being cliche myself. I'm, I'm not really saying that in a very yeah. eloquent way, but like 
that's one of those things. It's like, you can't, I don't know how you can do this and not have that experience, like, and not get interested in your limits as a person, like mentally, physically, and emotionally. And I think the people that do this, this is all sort of, I'm taking a roundabout way to get to the point of like, I feel as though when you have this experience, whether it's 50K or whether it's 500K, which is sort of the thing I use to denote the the short end of the range and the infinite end of the range, right? Yeah. It's like, doesn't matter what your ultra looks like. Like we're not, this isn't a competition. Like I don't mm-hmm. compete, like just because I've run 200 miles and other people haven't doesn't mean I'm in a competition with any of them. I'm looking for that endpoint in myself. Yes. And what I'm trying to encourage other people to do is look for that endpoint in themselves. So if that's 50K yes. and that's your threshold, more power to you. If you get there and you're like, eh, I mean, it was hard, but like I didn't die and it was kind of fun. Right. And I'm like curious right. about what 50 miles would look like go for that. And then I, it's, sometimes it's a slippery slope and sometimes it's just a hard stop at 50 K, but the stuff that you'll have to go through to get across that finish line is the most important stuff. It's, it's the process. It's not just the day of that is, I feel like the most significant part of this whole thing, this whole ultra running thing. Right. Right. And I think that's, that's the other thing that really kept me in ultras it it drew me there but it kept me there too Mm -hmm. is you feel that in the community Mm -hmm. you feel this complete lack of competition amongst us Mm -hmm. and we're competing against ourselves Mm -hmm. and in that way everyone is there even out on the course to say Mm -hmm. come on you got it you can do this i'm gonna help you you know when you fall on an ultra there's 50 people there to pick you know that's an exaggeration but if there's this so everyone stops what they're doing and helps you up and i think that's because we're not competing against each other. It's all this internal battle of mm-hmm. either battling something or battling to get somewhere. And um, in that way, I think that that also has been an interesting parallel in the work I do with individuals who are mm-hmm. fighting with, um, you know, mental health diagnoses is that that they are also fighting their own battle mm-hmm. and they've got people around them to help pick them up and, and move them forward or get them to appointments or do whatever. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you have to fight that battle yourself and, and get there yourself. So, and I have a theory about how, you know, running ultras helps augment your quote unquote non running life too. And just that it teaches you a lot of skills that you may or may not have learned in your everyday life, right? Like if you didn't grow up in a family that valued hard work or, you know, positive mindset or, you know, positive self-talk or any of that stuff, like if you didn't learn those lessons, that's, that's tough. And so here's an opportunity for you to learn them. I'm not saying it's going to be an easy, (laughs) you know, it's not going to be easy to learn them, but this is a real interesting and self-serving way to learn those lessons that can then, you can then take and then apply to other areas of your life, right? Your, your job, maybe you run your own business, your family, um, your community, like all of those, all of those lessons, those skills are transferable into non-running contexts. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. I see that every day for sure. <laughs> My own life. Yeah. Yeah. In so many ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're doing Bubba's again. When is that? October? 
Yes, that's in October. Yep. So um, that uh, Columbus Day or Indigenous People Day weekend. So it's yep. that weekend. So we get an extra day. So we get Monday off. So that's good. <laughs> that's helpful when you don't know if you're going to be running until Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. So yeah. So I'm doing that. And actually right around the corner, two weeks from Saturday, I'm running the Vermont 100. So Ooh. that's coming. Yeah, that's coming right up. So I'm really excited about that. I'm in kind of taper mode right now, which is also exciting mm-hmm. and um, a big relief. And um, yeah, so I'm running that with the Vermont adaptive team yeah. um, this year, which is a huge privilege and honor to do. So do you have goals for that race? What are your, I mean, obviously to finish, right? But like finish, what are some of your other goals? Yes. Yeah, so I did the ghost train um, in 27 hours and nice. change. So I'd like to be in sub sub 27 hours. Um, and so that's pretty much my only goal going into that, to feel really good and, and to come out on that side of 27 hours. Nice. So, yeah. yeah. The Vermont 100 is a much more challenging race than ghost train from yes. a terrain perspective. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. That big Bert number will get you every time. So yeah. Yeah. So that part I'm, I'm both excited and a little bit um, intimidated by. Um, I like, I like the change in terrain. I Mm -hmm. think that was actually one of the challenges for me for ghost train is, 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 and my body, I felt it in my body. My body wanted to do something different. So you mean that um, little hill didn't do it for you? (laughs) That horrible little hill in the woods. (laughs) No. Uh, I ended up dreading that because I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, the, the hill's coming up again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was one of those landmarks. I do remember the hill yes. and everything about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so did you do anything yeah. different um, this time around in terms of training um, in preparation for this year's Bubba's or keep everything mostly the same? I mean, you probably trained with pizza this time around. I did. I did not. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Pizza's on the note. In fact, my team is like, you know, got big signs with a slice of no pizza, pizza with just a red circle. Yeah, no pizza circle. Um, don't give Allison pizza. So just training a lot more with whole food. I do much better with real food. Um, and so, um, but knowing I need some of the nutritional value of the the goos or the gels. Or, um, I've switched to scratch, which I love. Um, and it's, And I've trained a ton on it really gentle on my stomach. So a little bit of tweaking with the nutrition piece. Um, and then just, um, I feel I have just progressed because of the amount of time now I've been running this distance that I feel more comfortable, um, you know, with the longer distances, my body's definitely more comfortable with it. So I feel like, um, you know, just I've amped up the mileage a little bit, um, you know, just did a little bit of a more difficult training plan. So that's changed a little, um, but not much else. I think, you know, I think pretty much everything else will stay the same. So just a little nutrition tweak and a little bit more mileage um, and more strength. So I took an off season. That's one thing I learned. Nice. Um, so after ghost train, so was that like October through January, second week in January was pretty much a, an off season for me, meaning I ran very little and did mm-hmm. a lot of strength. Um, and so I think that's going to be a huge shift for me of, is incorporating that too. So. Nice. Yeah. That's something yeah. that I think is super important. Um, you know, a lot of people that come from the road running context where, especially if you live in warmer climates or places like New England, where you can run all year long. I mean, we can right. run most of the year here, but it just becomes a little more challenging in the winter with the ice and the snow. But if you come from a road right. running background, you know, you don't, you don't really take a whole lot of time off. I mean, that was my experience, you know, transitioning from yes. road marathons into, into trails and ultras. I feel like you, 
I benefited so much from having that off season, so, so to speak time where I didn't do a lot of running. It was mostly walking and I did some strength training and I took some time off from stressing about my training and, you know, did more fun things. And, and, um, that's one of my little soap boxes that I like to get on every once in a while with people too. It's like this, um, the, the perpetual sort of ultra running culture of we just run 365 days a year for some people, that's great. And it might work for them, but for the vast majority of runners could really benefit from having some sort of off season. And it can look like a a bunch of different things, but I'm, I'm super excited that, that you subscribe to that theory as well. And and you can really see the benefits of having done that. Huge. Yeah. And I run mostly with, with road runners and, mm. and marathon road runners um, as part of my group. And so I'm always, I'm ragging on them. You got to have an off season. When's your off season? Cause, <laughs> um, and like you said, it doesn't, it, not everyone needs one. You know, there are definitely a few people I run with that are just machines that can run all year round and never have an injury. And it's fascinating to me, but, um, but yeah, I needed the off season, even mentally, like you said, just to do something different, um, and engage that was a great time of year to do it. It's a lot of holiday stuff going on and just enjoying my family. And um, yeah, so I did a lot of snowshoeing and, and cross country skiing. I do a lot of cross country skiing and um, rowing. And so that was nice to do totally different things and still be active, but and still run, but not have to have this huge focus. Because as you, this audience knows, it's a huge time commitment. <laughs> a training plan for an, any race is, you know, it's a, you are devoting your time, your energy, your lifestyle, every decision from the moment you go to bed and what time you go to bed to the moment you wake up in the morning is about that race. And it's a lot. So you need that mental break probably more than the physical even. So totally, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, Allison, where can people like see you, follow you, hear more about like the work that you do, follow you for like, getting updates on your ultras, all that fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I have two Instagram identities. <laughs> I keep my work and my personal separate, but I'm thinking about combining them just for ease of, of my life. Um, so I'm rambling O'Reilly's is my um, personal Instagram. That's where all my fun ultra running and family hiking and adventure stuff is. And then um, I have my Dr. Allison Roy. Um, so if you go to my website, drallisonroy.com, it has all my social media on there. Um, and just my blog and some of my, my resources and where I'm speaking. So I do a lot of public speaking, especially with parents and with educators around um, just ways to help us maintain our calm brains and work with young people and be good role models for young people. So I yeah. love it. I love it. That's super important work because I feel like, especially with the pandemic, um, so many kids lost out on, you know, vital time in school and getting those social cues and and those family cues and just learning, you know, some of the like valuable lessons that we were sort of talking about before in terms of like mental skills, social skills, everyday life skills, all that stuff. So awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, you'll have yeah. to come back at some point and we'll geek out over more mindset yes. stuff. <laughs> I love, I, I'll geek out over the human brain any day. So yes. well, maybe after <laughs> you do, uh, after you do uh, Vermont 100, you can come back and give us a little race report uh, yeah. on, on your, on your effort there and tell us uh, all the, great. all the fun stuff from there. So sounds good. Yay. Oh, thank you. That'd be great. Yay. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for coming, Allison. Thank you. 
Well, hopefully you guys enjoyed that episode. As you can tell, we both really enjoy geeking out over ultra running and mindset and the effort that goes into training for big races like this. And Allison is definitely going to come back and share her experience at the Vermont 100. And hopefully she'll also come back and talk about the backyard format. Because again, this is one that I have zero experience with, and I'm not going to lie, I really don't have any desire to do a backyard race, but I'm fascinated by the training and the mindset and the logistics and the strategy that goes into it. So if any of you guys are into backyards and you want to dig into this a little bit, we'll definitely get Allison back to share her experience about that. And these, this whole mindset thing is something that I've been obsessed with for a long time, as you can tell. Um, and it's something that we're going to dig into a lot in my new membership community, aptly named She Runs Ultras. And Monday's a big day, you guys. Monday, July 3rd uh, signifies the first day that the membership will be open doors will be open for you to go and sign up. The link for that will be in your inbox if you're on my private subscriber list. And you can also find it over on social media as well. I will send you the link and you can sign up and join us. There's going to be community and coaching and resources and run your first 50K and masterclasses from subject matter experts like Dr. Allison, like Julie Shobe, like some of the other experts that you you have heard here on the podcast. So if you need support and accountability and coaching and resources, and you want it all in one place, this is where it's going to be. Subsequently, there's also going to be a lot of strength and movement and mobility and kin stretch classes over there. It's quite literally where everything will be. (laughs) So if you're interested in that, check out my social media feeds on Monday or check your inbox on Monday. That's all for this episode. You guys enjoy this beat and I'll see you all soon.